Hey everyone, welcome to Let's Get Real with Sandra and Friends, a workplace consortium podcast brought to you by Relogix. I'm excited to be sharing conversational musings about current events and how we envision the ever-changing world of work. I'm Sandra Panera, Director of Workplace Insights at Relogix. With 25 years of hands-on experience, I help value engineer global workplace portfolios and employee experiences by aligning workplace analytics with corporate real estate needs. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future podcasts? Please drop me a line at podcast at relogics.com. I'd like to welcome Danielle Farage this week. Danielle is a Gen Z work futurist and director of growth at CAFE. As a global thought leader, community builder, and LinkedIn top voice, Danielle uses her platform to bridge intergenerational gaps at work and beyond. After spending years building communities and marketing HR tech platforms, at 22, she landed a head of growth position at a Y Combinator startup. She then began her journey as a digital nomad, speaker, and co-lead of the buildthefuture.work community with the intention of creating more inclusive, equitable, and dynamic work cultures. Hey, Danielle. Thanks for joining the podcast this week. Uh, welcome. Thank you. Hi, Sandra. It's so nice to see you <laughs> and to be here. I'm very excited. It's Monday. We're both feeling refreshed. We both got a lot done this weekend. So yeah, exactly. Let's, let's have a great one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Uh, big question. I love it. <laughs> uh, so I am a work futurist, a 23-year-old uh, trying to live and thrive in 2022. It was just pretty, pretty hard sometimes. <laughs> um, but, you know, so, so really what, what it means to be a work futurist is, you know, I try in, in all my facets of life to foster an elevated consciousness around the intersection of, of identity, culture, right? The, the cultures we create around us and, and work and, and how we stay, you know, I don't love the word productive, but, um, how we stay kind of working and, and challenging ourselves creatively in today's world. And, you know, I grew up in New York City where I was exposed very early on to a lot. And when I went away to college at USC, I kind of looked around, the, you know, around me and I was trying to figure out what to study. And I saw my siblings, my two older siblings kind of going into the corporate world and not really loving their experience there. And I was like, oh, you know what? I don't really want that. I want to be happy and I want work to fulfill me. And I want to impact the world in a positive way rather than just kind of making rich people richer. And so then I looked around me and I was kind of like, okay, what is everyone else studying? And a lot of people were just kind of doing what their parents told them or doing what they thought was the right path based on how much money they would make and or they were told they would make. And what I wanted to do was use my four years at USC to really put them to work, to engage, to take part in the culture of of the campus and to take advantage of all that it had to offer, including guest speakers like Kobe Bryant and and Ariana Huffington and a lot of people from, you know, big companies and 
So I went to a lot of events and, you know, I studied social sciences with a psych emphasis with the intention of being able to walk into any room and talk to anyone, listen to understand them, and then take what I learn back to the boardroom to help those leaders make better decisions about people that would impact their lives positively. And, you know, for six years ago, when I was trying to make this decision of what to study, it's pretty crazy because we lived in a time where, like, people weren't the main focus of organizations in terms of, you know, happiness at work and and workplace wellness. These these things weren't really a thing. So to think that, you know, fast forward five years, that's exactly what we're talking about. It's, it's pretty crazy. Um and it's pretty surreal, but it's really a, a wonderful thing. And I'm very grateful to have found myself in a place where I can speak for, you know, and on behalf of like my generation, just from, from my own experience and, and that of the people around me. That's a great introduction. <laughs> well, I think that's kind of how, what sort of caught my eye when, you know, you're very vocal on LinkedIn and I was like, who is this Danielle person? And I started to see more and more stuff that you were posting about Gen Z. And I was like, right on, like you were talking sort of my language because, you know, as you and I spoke last week, it's like I had an experience of working with a group of, well, not Gen Z's because they were still too young at the time, but, um, you know, the the millennials uh, several years back, you know, when they were just graduating from school and remembering, you know, how much of an eye opener it was for me to learn about how different they were, but in a good way. And it was like, this is going to be, you know, the future of work, the way that the newer generation comes into the workforce and how they approach work and how they think about work and just sort of their whole mannerisms, which is very different than how I was raised being a Gen X and then obviously boomers and, you know, even the veterans that were in the workforce at the time, um, just the way that we were raised, you know, which was about you go to school, you study something, and then you get the corporate job, and then you climb the corporate ladder, right? It was kind of like something different was happening. I couldn't quite understand what was happening. I think that's probably why a lot of the criticisms happened about the millennial workforce, because they were so different. Obviously, I have a millennial child, <laughs> um, you know, and I asked her many, many times, it's like, you know, what is it about, you know, the thinking that's different. And it was, you know, we grew up where our parents were never home. Like, you know, the parents, you know, we worked all the time because that's what we were raised to do. You go to work, you bring a paycheck, you pay the bills, you buy the house, you do all of that stuff. And it seemed like that younger generation wasn't as interested in following that path. And it was like, okay, you guys are lost. You don't know where where you're going or what you're going to do. But you know, there's a there's a force to be reckoned because I think that there's a lot of really interesting change that's coming forth as a result of the new generation coming in to the workforce. Right. So it leads to actually to the first question that I have for you. So thinking about the fact that, you know, you being a recent grad, uh, graduating in the midst of the pandemic, what was your experience like, you know, joining the workforce coming straight out of school? So... I think I'm a little bit of a different case than most people you might meet, but maybe that's a good thing because I just might be ahead of, you know, I'm, I'm an, I'm an older Gen Z. So I'm could be used as a good example for more of what's to come. But specifically when I was in college, there was still that mentality of let's 
go to the big five. Let's get that consulting job. Let's, you know, go into finance, into law, into real estate. It was a dominating culture. And I don't think that that's really changed yet. I think it's changing, but it's still not normalized to go the path that I went, which is the unconventional one. Um, and so during my time in college, right, I saw my siblings kind of go after this corporate job um, lifestyle, and I didn't want that for myself. So I chose the startup route. And throughout the years, and as I graduated, I always worked at startups from as early as pre-seed um, to as late as Series A. So I haven't yet hit the Series B area yet, but I, I think I'll probably get there. Um, in my experience, I graduated during the pandemic um, in the thick of it. So after watching both my siblings graduate from USC and being at their graduations, um, I graduated remotely, which was pretty tough. Um, <laughs> and then I was working at a startup at the time and went full time during the summer. That was a pretty toxic environment. I was working remotely for someone based out of California and, you know, the t- with the time zones and kind of like the chaos that was the company. I think it just didn't really fit. Um, and eventually I left that job in August and I went on the job search it was pretty scary at the time because we were still in the thick of the pandemic. And, you know, a lot of my friends either didn't have a job at all. Um, so they were kind of like sitting ducks or they were sitting ducks because they were waiting for their jobs to start the following year. Yeah. So so they got their start dates pushed back. And then after that, I quit my job. And then three weeks later, I got a job at a startup. And that experience, I mean, really set the tone for the juxtaposition between a toxic culture and like a really great culture is it teaches you a lot. Um, You're able to really understand, oh, okay, so culture is like the big deal. Um, And it's it's surprisingly what we don't teach many job seekers to actually find is a good culture, a positive one. So when I did find it, I was like, whoa. This is where I want to be. I see myself, you know, really aligning to the company. I'd always really employed this idea of values-based job searching, but I didn't really know how to put words to that. I always knew I wanted, like, the company I work for to have a a positive impact at the end of the day. Um, So I always chased that, but I didn't really know what I was doing internally. So, you know, I, I graduated, and then I went into this job, and... I was working fully remotely at a startup where the culture was in person previously. And, you know, I think they did a really good job of creating this inclusion. Um, My old boss, Dave Meckelberg, um, is is really a phenomenal human who deeply values and appreciates diversity, equity and inclusion. He was actually named on like one of these like top inclusive leaders lists. Um, So I really felt that. And I think the whole org really felt that. Um, at the end of the day, I think the biggest thing I struggled with was loneliness and isolation. Um, and the way that I combated that was not to sit back and say, I feel so bad for myself. It was to find my tribe. It was to go on the, you know, LinkedIn's of the world and to hang out on Clubhouse and to, I, I got involved on Upstream. Upstream is now a, a Web3 platform focused on creating DAOs. Um, and so I did a lot of networking 
during that time. And I started actually writing a book in early 2020. So that process was kind of put on the back burner. But I think, you know, now I'm actually entering a new phase of life where, you know, we can talk more about that. But um, yeah, the book was really is really about values based job searching, which is what I employed. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my story. <laughs> so um, it's interesting what you said about values-based job searching, because that's one of the things that I recognized really early on in my career. How long did it take you to actually realize that your values were aligned? Because companies will say, you know, we value these things, and then you start working, and you're like, mm, something's yeah. not right. Earlier in my career, I did an internship at a media company, and you know, I, I really thought that that was a great workplace. Like that was a culture that I would want to go work at post college. And I actually got an advanced offer from that company to come back for a full-time job when I graduated. And they don't usually offer that to people. That's like something that came from my team, from the top leaders. And it was like really big for me. And when the pandemic happened, I never heard from them again. Yeah, I've actually never told this story before. So I never heard from them again. And I reached out to the recruiter, didn't hear from her. Um, I reached out to a few contacts who I knew, you know, this was during my job search. And they were like, you know, we put a freeze on hiring, but like, you should definitely reach out. And, and I did multiple times, never heard from them again. So that was kind of, uh, that was a red flag where like, one of the values that I definitely saw in the office, right, was like transparency and they had these big all hands meetings where like they talked about like revamping the culture and all this stuff. And, you know, that when I was there during my six or eight weeks, whatever, as an intern, like one of the things that stood out was like I didn't feel motivated to go to the office after like the six week mark because I realized that personally for me, we were just making big companies, more money. And like, I was not intrinsically motivated by that. So that was one for me. And then the, the kind of external one was definitely that red flag of like, okay, they said that they would give me an offer for a job, but like never followed up. Those two things I think were really big because I was like, well, I'm going to go to a company that like actually wants to, you know, not only offer me a promise of a job, but will actually put the offer on the table and will pay me for the job and to work in New York City and to, you know, working wage, um, which it wasn't. So, no, um, it's interesting. You said a couple of times now about, you know, that working for a company or the big companies to help them make more money was something that wasn't <laughs> of, of interest to you. It's one of those things that, you know, I thought. During the pandemic, when you heard about how, I mean, I remember there was a bunch of surveys that went out about how people, you know, use the time to upskill, to learn a new skill, to kind of do all kinds of stuff. A lot of people sort of started a, a side gig or, or, or that sort of thing that it kind of makes you wonder, like, you know, is the great resignation that's happening right now just because of the fact that, well, first of all, is what is the age group like is it everyone or is it maybe the younger generation that are coming to that realization that they have a specific skill and therefore can go off and do their own thing because I think that's really in my opinion probably the biggest differentiator between the generations is the younger generation 
and their knowledge of technology and how to use technology to do really cool things. You know, it's, it's not to say that the older generation can't do it. It's just that it's much more readily accessible and available and easy to do for the younger generation because you come out of school or, well, more so now, probably come into the world with technology in your hands, right? And so it's part of just living right from the get-go. And so do you think that's kind of the way Gen Z thinks about work? Because you hear you hear a lot of people talking about the alignment of the values you hear about, you know, uh, wanting to have purpose. And so do you think the perp- this whole purpose is really along those lines where the younger generation wants to wants to join the workforce, but in a way that they they can actually make a difference and not feeling that you can make a difference by working for a large company? Mm-hmm. What are your, what are your mm-hmm. thoughts in that regard? Yeah, there are so many great points and and intricate details that and factors that go into what you're saying. I'm going to try to break it down. So the, the first one is to your point, we go work for these larger companies, right? Let's say you go graduate and you get a job at a big company and you show up to, I don't know, let's say an Amazon, whatever. It's a technology company and you arrive your first day and let's say it's in person and they give you a desktop computer from 2015 and they give you, you know, some old clunky ATS system that doesn't really help you do your job. Maybe you're a recruiter and you're kind of like, wait a second, why am I sitting here doing this on old technology with old systems in place when I could be sitting at home comfortably on my couch doing the same thing, but for myself and be doing it so much faster with my own choice of software, automating most of the processes and making more money potentially. Right. So like my point is these companies give us tools, you know, tools, physical and hardware and software that, enable us or are supposed to enable us to do our jobs really well when in reality who's making those decisions right so like we then question okay well why if i'm doing social media for this company and they're giving me all these tools why not also do it for myself at the same time and then if i do it for myself and it's working and i'm growing and i build a real business out of it why am i still working at that job and i think that's a lot of what's going on um, the second thing is to your point about the technology skills and and specializations. You know, I listen to and and read the, this guy Drawer Poleg, and he's he's amazing. <laughs> he's yeah. pretty big on Twitter. And so one of the things that he has talked about has been this specialized workforce. And I'm I assume that a lot of the specialized workforce will continue to be of the younger generation just because we learn faster on technology we like tend to know more of the trends going on and so right now the specialized talent can really go to any place they want they can get a job anywhere right and so as time goes on there will be more competition for the specialized talent there will also be different areas in which the specialized talent arise from right right like Marketing is different from AI, is different from, 
coding. So each of these different sort of avenues will have more specialized workers, but the specializations are going to get so specific and are, are really getting specific now um, that you're going to have to pay more for that specialized talent. Um, and so there's this kind of like this skills gap that's widening. And the skills gap is, <laughs> and that's the third, the kind of the third factor that is very related, where the, what we identify is like white collar jobs of like, you know, I'm sitting on a computer and I'm doing that work and maybe I'm automating it if I'm a specialized worker. Those will continue to grow. Um, the blue collar jobs, however, are rapidly being replaced by robotics. I think in 2021, um, the purchases for robotics have increased 40%. So the fact is that we need more people to be leaving their jobs at these bigger companies or for these companies, right, like the Microsofts and the Teslas and the Googles of the world to create their own innovation hubs or academies to teach people these specialized skills, which they're doing. Microsoft pledged, I think, millions of dollars last year mm-hmm. to actually educate people in more of these specialized roles. But the fact is that those, you know, the education as it is today is not cutting it and it, it will not cut it until they take a much more active and integrated approach hand in hand with organizations who are looking to fill these roles. So I guess full circle, (laughs) we need to shorten the gap between universities and organizations. I think that is literally one of the greatest solutions that can happen. Um, And I know specific people in the industry like Todd McLeese um, who are actually doing that work, or we need the creators who are leaving their jobs to teach other people how to, you know, run a six-figure business from their homes to help those small business owners continue to grow and also potentially partner, right, internally with companies to help them teach their employees to do that, right? And and to to maybe create more autonomy within roles. Um and really I think the structure of work will only continue to change internally at organizations. So, yeah, that was kind of a long-winded answer, but that question was, like, so jam-packed with so many different <laughs> factors. I was just kind of like, we got to go deep with this one. <laughs> yeah. So um, what are your thoughts about um, when you think about the future of work and just kind of all, sort of along the lines of what you've just said is, do you think that Gen Z and any generations coming thereafter um, would lean more towards contracted work versus traditional full-time work like do you think that that is what the future of work is going to be in 15 20 years from now I 100% think so yes I was even on the phone with someone the other day who you know we're hiring at cafe and I'm hiring for my individual team there's been a lot of interest I got on the phone with someone on Friday and he was kind of like, yeah, I, I took this full-time job at a pre-seed company. Right before that, I was at a Series B company doing sales. And now I'm kind of like unattached. I, I don't really want a full-time job. 
Um, not only because I want to travel the, the country and I want to work and live in different places, but also because I don't want to feel like I'm attached and like I can't go beyond this one place. And I, I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with because especially with this, this idea of like Gen Z's job hopping, right? There's a lot of talk about that. And there's this one girl who I think she job hopped like 26 different times in like three years, like something ridiculous. Yeah. And she, she writes about it and, and stuff like that. And the goal of, of her doing that really was to like find the job that she was passionate about, find the culture that she loved. And the fact is it took her that many times to find that culture. Like that's a problem, right? So like, I think that's one thing is that like so often we find ourselves being duped or being sold on an experience of work that actually doesn't match up to what is the reality. So I think one of the things that we really value if you're, you know, an employer like looking to hire Gen Z is just being super frank, being like upfront about the challenges, the stage of the company. Um, it's certainly something that I try to do when I'm interviewing people is, is to say, Hey, like, listen, every company has its problems. Here are the challenges that we're facing. And if you want to hop on the boat, you're more than welcome to. If you think you're the right person to do that, but if not, I will help you find the right place for you. Right. So I think we really value that. And, and the other part of it, I think is there's so much opportunity and to go to that other place, right. And to see that the grass isn't greener, like we're, we're smart enough to know, like for those of us who have job hopped because we thought the grass was greener, like we learned like one, one time learning, I think will teach you. And I think that now we just kind of want that flexibility. Yeah. We, we might not value healthcare as much or like we might not see the value of like 401ks because no one ever taught us that stuff. Right. So it's kind of like we are making decisions based on what we know is best for us. And I think contract roles are the most appealing to the, to the life that we all want to live now, especially like I was talking last weekend to someone who is in the startup world. He's a community builder and, we were at summer camp together <laughs> um, and he was kind of just like, yeah, I think our generation is just kind of like more awake. We're trying to find what we're passionate about now. And if you think about it, a lot of people during the pandemic, right, woke up to the idea that you want to do what you love and discovered that or rediscovered parts of themselves that they had lost. And I think that if we find that at 23, 25, 28, that's a beautiful thing that that means that we'll be able to carry that and to and to live our our truest selves for for the most time um and i think typically it's like kind of looked down upon but i don't really think that we care (laughs) (laughs) this is really fascinating i think you know as as i listen to you talk i think about you know obviously most of my career probably about maybe 10 years in total but other than 10 years the 10 years was working in corporate and everything you say is dead on. Like it's just exactly sort of what the experience is and you just, you accept it, right? Like, you know, when you were talking about the, the, the old technology, I'll never forget when I left Nike, I, I went to work at another company. I was there for a very short period of time. And I remember walking in, I mean, and nobody asked the question of like, you know, give me the rundown of what kind of technology you have when you're interviewing. Like you just assume that, okay, they're going to have, 
the latest technology because typically companies will update their technology every couple of years, you hope, right? This was a big company though. And I remember walking in, sitting down at my desk and there was the desktop. Laptops had been around, but it was like, you know, you got the yeah. desktop. Uh, and then the worst part was they weren't even using Outlook, which was like everybody was using Outlook. They were using some archaic, I don't even know what email system they were using. And I was like, what is this? And and the impact that it had on your productivity, like you go in raring to like, okay, this is great, this is a great opportunity, and you're like, okay, the, you know, provided that you have the technology to do your job, and suddenly you're like, well, how am I going to do my job? Because you never thought to ask the question, right? So I think that's probably more common than, you know, people don't really talk about it, but it's it's pretty common. But the other point also that I wanted to make was, when you were talking about contract work is, and again, thinking about working in the corporate world and just all the legalities and things of what you need to do because there's so many rules of what you can and can't do. Do you think the the whole concept of conflict of interest plays into why the younger generation prefers to be non-committal? Is that I don't put me in a box? Huge. It's like the biggest thing about Gen Z and, and the, certainly the earliest insight anyone had into who we were. I remember working at that media agency and they were saying, oh, Gen Z doesn't want to be put in a box, right? It's the biggest thing. And I feel it like when I'm categorized, right? Like as a, oh, she's an associate or like even some of these job roles, right? Like junior publicist, junior this, associate that. It's like, why label us in a way that makes us feel smaller? Like not only for ourselves, but like to the world. The reality is I might be doing the same job as like a senior reporter. If I'm a, you know, junior reporter and a senior reporter, it's the same, could be the same workload, the same job could be a difference of three X in salary. <laughs> and that's fine. But at the end of the day, like why should anyone else know my level of seniority? And that's partially why, like, I created my own job title is because I don't want my job to define me. I don't want someone else's label or job title that they created for me to define who I am in the world of work. Because guess what? I'm a speaker. I'm a community builder. I'm a futurist. I'm a thinker. I'm a everything. Like, I'm a marketer, you know, like, and that's okay also like to be a generalist, right? Like we talk about the specialized workforce and all that, but like realistically, like I'm a generalist by, by hard skills. I'm specialized in, I don't want to say soft skills because I saw a post about that today being like, can we stop calling it soft skills? Which I totally agree with. I think the way that I would label it is like, I'm a specialist in necessary skills of like communication, right? right. And, like making other people feel comfortable around me. And those are, I think, going to be the really most important skills that we need to be teaching Gen Z how to do, especially because so many of us worked through the pandemic and like graduated into the pandemic. We had two full classes of grads. And then on top of that, we have like probably seven years of people doing school remotely, like collectively amongst yeah. the different, you know, classes. Yeah. Um, and, and that takes a really big toll on 
your mental health, you know, mental health rates in across colleges are like at scary highs. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the number of people, I think it's like one in eight students reports not being able to leave their, their beds or their rooms because they're so depressed. Like, you know, we need to be talking about that <laughs> um, versus, you know, trying to categorize us as, you know, whatever people try to label us as entitled, blah, 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 whatever. We grew up at a really hard time and it's only getting harder, you know, so like we need to be teaching people how to manage their relationship with technology, which is something at 23. I'm, I'm only learning now. You know, we need to be teaching people how to breathe, how to meditate, how to create space and create boundaries for themselves and, and, you know, between themselves and the world and others versus trying to, you know, categorize them for our own benefit or, or peace of mind. Yeah. I think the other, the other part to that is the fact that, as you said earlier on in the conversation that, you know, the education system sort of takes you through a path that it's a, very archaic and it's kind of if you don't fit that mold I can imagine the stress that that puts on the generations as they go through it because it's like the school system is pretty much the same as what it was you know when I went to school you know 20 years ago 30 years ago and it's like the world has changed right and so you know you also said in one of the previous conversations about how you know you you're taught something a certain way in school and then you come out into the world and you're like huh like this is not what I was expecting. This is nothing like what they taught me in school. And then you're like, you know, trying to, you know, keep your head above water as you're trying to figure out what is this, right? Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about learning. So what was your experience or what is your experience? Because you hear a lot of companies talking about like how you need to have a work, physical workplace for your generation in order to learn. So coming in fresh out of school, the whole mentorship, kind of all of that stuff. What's your, what's your take on, on all of that? I'm smiling really big because it's, <laughs> it's, it's like kind of funny to me. Like that's a, that's a big argument for the pro back to office people. They're like, you know, I wrote, I wrote a whole piece about it actually. It was a response to, I think it was a Wall Street Journal article. And just the concept that you have to be in a place to connect with others is ridiculous. It's been proven probably a billion times over by just Zoom meetings. So, you know, and and I had this one guy one time, he, he asked me, I think it was a couple months ago, you know, I was on a... It was in the mosh pit, right. uh, yeah, with, uh, David Gray. And this guy was like, Oh, you know, I work a lot at a law firm and I used to love training and, and mentoring the associates. And now that we're, you know, this hybrid remote situation, like I, don't, I just don't have as much time to do it and it's harder and blah, blah, blah. And, and I look at him and I'm like, okay, here's what remote work did for us even if it was forced, right? Forced remote is very different from choice remote. Um, And I said to him, look, if mentorship and mentoring others is important to you, and I'm sure you gain a lot from it too, right? Mentorship is uh, a mutual, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) the mutual thing. 
then make it a priority, right? If you don't have time, it means you're not prioritizing it. So, you know, create a Slack channel or create a program internally where you, you know, and you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can go ask other people who run mentorship, you know, programs or community managers, even better, um, who run these things. And, and you can ask them, what are the best practices for mentorship? And you can create your own program internally and you can have people sign up who are just like you, who really want to mentor others. And you can actually create the space to do that when you're at the office. Maybe mm-hmm. it's office hour Tuesdays, right? In the mornings, you're just there for other people and they, and you can indicate that using cafe, right? You can yeah. say, I'm in the office, like in the mentor room, right? And you can like just be there and other people can see that and there's visibility and transparency and trust as opposed to saying, oh, woe is me. I can't mentor people anymore. It's like, well, dude, like you're not prioritizing it. So obviously it's not impossible. So that's just kind of like one example. And I think secondly, you know, I'm a, I'm a great example of not needing to be in an office to grow your career. I've just been named as a LinkedIn top voice. I saw that. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. And I completely grew my network remotely. Um, So I just, I think, think that thinking is very archaic and it's often an argument used by people who want to control others and are fearful of the future and of change. Um, but, you know, more and more companies every single day are proving that theory wrong. Um, and it's likely that the people even bringing that argument to the table are proving it wrong themselves. So it's 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 pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, no, I I find it interesting, too, because I the whole conversation around, you know, you have to be in a physical place to learn, to connect with other people. I think for me, the the biggest aha was when I did my startup years ago, um, leaving corporate and then, you know, similar to your experience of just connecting with people on Twitter and LinkedIn and, you know, whatever social media platforms there were at the time and never meeting these people in person, but building a relationship with them online that if in some you know future time you did have an opportunity to meet with them, it would be like you would just carry on your your friendship as you normally would. There's no difference between, hey, I met you in person and therefore I value that relationship more than you and I meeting on LinkedIn like we did. And, you know, here we are doing a podcast together. Right. That's always kind of been the thing, the thing that's really stuck out in my mind and more probably in the last two years now working for a startup as well. So obviously working with Relogix, but the difference of being given the permission, it's not really permission, but just taking the lead in terms of building the network, you know, openly conversing and discussing topics that are of interest to me and learning through other people, through those discussions that you have on these social media platforms, which many corporations don't allow their employees to do that. Right. So you're kind of your hands are tied in terms of what you can and can't say on social media. So it's kind of a a bit of a double edged sword because it's like you're saying that you want people to learn. You're saying that you want people to collaborate, to innovate. But to me, anyways, collaboration and innovation really 
I think gains the most traction when you're interacting with people outside of your organization with different thinking, right? And so I think that's kind of one of the things that probably holds companies back. And going back to that thing of if you're trying to get people to, you know, fit a mold or, you know, do things your way, people will be like, well, you're experiencing something completely different. You know, same thing with like going into the startup world. I think I told you the story when we spoke last week. It's like you go into the startup world and you're like, you're, people are talking to you and you're, you know, they're willingly giving you information and you're like, this doesn't happen in the corporate world. Everybody's very standoffish because they're worried that, you know, you're going to take over their job or they're going to keep you at arm's length because they're not really sure of who you are and you observed as a threat. You would expect to see that more in the startup world, but that's really where all the innovation happens. The sharing of the ideas and the knowledge is so different than what it is in the corporate environment, right? You know, I was looking at um, articles from like 2010, 2011 about like this future of work. I'm <laughs> thinking, okay, it's like <laughs> we've passed so many years and, you know, we're still here. Um, but do you think that companies can even, like, can they truly aspire to being more entrepreneurial or do you think that that's just a way of being able to attract the younger generation that now is preferring to go to the, you know, the startup seed stage, whatever stage that they're at to be able to really have an impact and and find their purpose? Yeah, that's a good question. I've seen a lot of articles recently also about like, you know, upping pay and, and salary to keep people. I don't think that'll keep them. Um, I think going back to what we were talking about earlier, people are looking for a greater sense of purpose. People are looking for a greater, you know, sense of maybe autonomy of owning their own thing and less limitations, right? More flexibility in how you work and when you work in, you know, what you work on will be a, a huge sort of benefit to these organizations who are trying to retain people. It's it's not just about, you know, how you show up at the office. It's it's more about what you show up to in the world. Um, so I think the more that people think of, you know, their people as not just employees, but full humans with lives with, you know, who who like want to be supported. Mm-hmm. Right. Like people go after jobs because they want to be supported. Right. And they and they need money to support their lives. Obviously. Um, yeah. And I just I think that the shift that we're seeing with startups, right, like most startups are starting fully remotely these days. Right. Like they're not trying to create an office. office. Like, right. Like it's like that's why flex space is growing and that demand and. That's why we work is, you know, that demand is growing because they have this, this on-demand office space that when we need that time together, we will take it and we'll use it and we'll be super intentional with how we use it. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I think I'm, I'm super inspired by some of the companies, like the bigger companies like Twitter, for example, that are actually going out and like, asking their people and have been actually working on this feature of work stuff for years and years, which was just off our radar. Cause like, why would we think about the future of work <laughs> until now? But yeah, no, I think that 
it's kind of becoming also cool to be working in a startup, like low key. It's becoming like much cooler to like be working in a startup than like, hey, yeah, I work at Deloitte. Like, cool. Like, good for you. So do so many other people. Like, any uniqueness is, is really interesting. Um, and also someone said this to me this weekend, which I totally wholeheartedly agree with. People who are honest are often the most interesting people. And if you think about it, what you just said, corporate doesn't allow you to be honest all the time. And I think that's one of the things I value so much about my job is like, and like European culture generally is like, (laughs) they're so honest that like sometimes it actually hurts. Right. Um, but that creative tension, like the tension that it really creates is, is creative tension. And, and it's actually something that, um, Duncan Wordle, he spoke at purposeful intent two weeks ago and, and I was there and I was sitting in the audience and he was talking about this creative tension that, you know, you, you feel it when like two people disagree about a topic and then you kind of come back to the table and you're like, okay, we felt that tension and now we'll hold on. What if we actually put our ideas together or we compromised in some way or we came up with an even better idea together? Right. And then suddenly that's that's how innovation works. Right. Um, and I just I don't feel like people have the psychological safety to disagree in a lot of cultures. It's also it's totally can happen in the startup world. I've been a, a victim of yeah. it myself. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think that like more companies just need to be prioritizing that earlier on <laughs> in my opinion okay last question so let's talk a little bit about uh, about cafe i've seen a couple of links i'm so jealous because i see you you know running around in paris and all those like instagrammable moments <laughs> and stuff like that so um do those meetings happen like are they are they like uh, scheduled like you're that there's like a quarterly plan to get together or are they ad hoc or are they a combination of the two? How does that how does that work in your organization? Yeah. yeah. So we're we're a remote first company. Um, we're remote first hybrid. So kind of depends um, on your preference slash geographical location. So, for example, I was hired in the U.S. Um, to fill a need to, you know, enter the U.S. market um, and to help us do that. So. Essentially, I go to Paris every quarter. Um, so that's probably what you picked up on. And when I go to Paris, it's really the time for us to one, connect. Um, so we go on outings. We've been to like this cool, like adventure, like laser tag esque kind of thing, like adventure thing. Um, we went, we did a cooking class. We've done, you know, fam dinners, right? So that's like one, connect. And secondly, collaborate. So we get together more times than we would in a normal week or than the Paris team would. And we collaborate on, you know, the things that we think are top of mind. Oftentimes I'm the one leading the charge there. And then third, really to be creative. Um, so for me, my creativity is is at its peak when I'm traveling. Um, so that's that's a really big benefit. And and, you know, we have these kind of times where some of us will connect like we have this thing called espresso meetup. So like 
will actually be matched with each other one-on-one and we'll do these like in-person kind of walks or just kind of chit chats. And, and that also helps with creativity because mm-hmm. you get to understand, Oh, well, like, what have you been thinking about recently? Right. Oh, well, I've been thinking about this. And then it's like, Oh wait, hold on. That's actually a really good idea. We should bring to the collaboration session. So not only create by yourself or be creative, but also create with others. And so that's, you know, most of the time is kind of spent there. And then, you know, I tend to stay for like 10 to to 15 days and then I go back. The team usually meets once a week, although because we are a flexible first company, we don't require everyone to go to the office weekly. So if you want to go to Singapore or you want to, which my coworker just did, or you want to go to Croatia or Greece, you know, you can go do that and you can work remotely because we're a remote first company. So that's how we work at CAFE. That's very cool. That's very cool. I, I I think that that you guys are basically living sort of the dream in the sense of how the future of work should be, where you kind of fit work into your life and you live your life and you work at the same time, you know, when it's time to work. But then there's time to also enjoy the other things that are around you, be it family or just, you know, to be able to grow on a on a personal level. So uh, this has been fantastic. So any final, any final comments? Yeah, I would say to end with one of my f- favorite quotes that I've ever made up. <laughs> <laughs> one time a rabbi told me it was prolific. So strap, strap in. Um, so essentially the quote is, if you imagine beyond the impossible, so much more becomes possible. That is pretty prolific. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. (laughs) Well, Danielle, thank you very much for your time. This has been a fun, really interesting, great conversation. Thank you again. And uh, we'll catch up on LinkedIn. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much.